The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. Then, uh, oh, where my little ti- oh, my timer's busted, though. Okay. Um, you have a broken timer? I do have a broken timer. I can't do my approaches. <laughs> 1,001, 1,002, yeah, <laughs> I remember a discussion months, week, no, years ago, literally, on one of the email lists I, I subscribed to, and some guy was, you know, do, do you time an ILS? Do you time, you know, uh, GPS approaches? And uh, I was like, well, no, I don't time those anymore. Well, why? Well, I don't feel the need. Well, how do you know when, you, when you're at the missed approach point? Well, I know I'm at the missed approach point when the little airplane symbol gets to the top of the magenta line. <laughs> and that really kind of shut down the discussion. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think that's yeah. like, it's like IFR humor. Us <laughs> VFR pilots don't get it, I think. You, you push the button that says missed, and suddenly yeah. there's this new picture. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's, that's right. right. Speaking of electronic I used to charts. program approaches into the little handheld, which didn't have approaches. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But when I was motoring along, you know, I, I would brief the approach by getting the plate out and making it a standalone flight plan all the way up through and including the mist. Uh-huh. And uh, then I'd, they'd start me in, and I'd punch that up, and there'd be all these lines zigzagging all over the place. And, and I'd just follow the needles, and the map worked out with it. Speaking of the uh, electronic approach plates and stuff like that, further uh, investigation since our um, visitation at Sun and Fun. Yeah. Uh, I've discovered in reading the fine print at the FAA charting site that the DVD uh, of all of the approach plates in the U.S. comes with its own little search engine. Oh. I have not investigated it. At all, I don't have a copy of the the, the DVD. Um, Does that come every twenty eight days? It's every twenty eight days. You can you can get a you can buy it one time, or you can get a, an annual subscription. And does every every disc contain all of them, or just the changes? Every disc contains all of them. All of them, yeah. So yeah, it'd be a nightmare just to be updating the disc right. after a yeah, while. Yeah. So um, in the meantime, you know, we were looking at that that. Um, that hardware solution also, Jack. Yep. And I found on eBay, and of course this will not um, be posted for a couple of days so I can talk about it. Okay. Found on e- This is Sunday night. Found on eBay a Samsung Q1 um, a gig of memory, um, gigabyte uh, uh, speed, whatever the chip is thing, with a 32 gigabyte uh, solid state hard drive on eBay brand new with you know all the discs and charger and case and yada 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 $700 that's good which which is which beats how any price is, i've how, seen go ahead Dave. how big is the screen the screen is about the size of an approach plate book okay so it's a, okay. a, a little bigger than 5 by 7 yeah um, color screen color screen oh. da, 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 da. so but, did you buy it jeb 
Well, I've got a bid. I've got a snipe bid set up on it. Uh, and this doesn't go off for another 16, almost 17 hours. Uh-huh. Um, but we'll see what happens. You know, at that price, you know, even if, and based on what I've seen, you know, this is not a black market deal. This is a U.S. manufacturer, I mean, U.S. vendor, so and it's you're going to put the uh, the disc contents. What I would do is just on that. In, yeah, the, the DVD, of course. DVDs are what four and a half gigs. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This is a 32 gig solid state drive. I don't have any. I don't have any altitude issues. Nope. Um, so I got plenty of. I got plenty of hard hard drive space on this box. Mm-hmm. Operating uh, interface, touchscreen, or is, buttons is or it, both. It's, it's it's Windows XP tablet with soft keys on the touchscreen. That could oh, be cool. Far out. Yeah, it could be well, cool. we'll see. I'll, 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 you know, obviously figure it all out once I get the hard. If I get the hardware, help me remember. I'll get the DVD and see if any of this works. Help me remember what was the price they were quoting for that device at? Well, Sunday? that's the that's the funny thing. The woman I was talking to, and and we're not going to say the the name of the vendor we with which we were speaking, but she was saying nine ninety nine on Amazon. Well, I defy you to find this particular box. With a 32 gig solid state drive on on uh, Amazon for under 1600, it ain't okay, gonna happen. Cool. Yeah, I can't find it on Amazon for that kind of money. And uh, if you look at, um, you know, the the discount, you know, like 47th Street Photo or whatever it is. If you look at the discount um, computer vendors on the web, um, they, the pri- their prices are, are a lot higher. Now maybe this is gray market. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. But, oh, you can uh, bet your money it's, it's gray market. Yeah, but I mean the 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 vendor here has got like fifteen thousand um, um, feedback. Right. Uh, I've, I've bought a couple of devices eBay. off of eBay this way yeah. that are, yeah. are new. And, and but, how's this compare with that one that the fella showed us outside the? Uh, this the, should uh, be well. That would that would remember was monochrome. Right. Okay. And it really only did one or two things. This is a full-fledged Windows XP operating system machine. So I could do it. It's got wireless. It's got um, a Cat5 cable plug on it. Um, it's got a gig of RAM. It's a gigahertz it's, it's, chip. It's, it's ready to do what you need it's, it to do. It's a Pentium gigahertz chip. Is it got you know, GPS I've, in it? It does not have GPS, but then again, you know. It would be a piece of cake. Well, it doesn't take PC cards, um, which is okay. It's got to um, be something that'll plug into one of the. Universes. Oh yeah, it'll take USB. It'll take FireWire. It'll take other other uh, stuff. But I then just again, in terms of the convenience and flying uh-huh. approach of having your plate up with your airplane on the plate appropriately. Well, I've got I've got that on the five thirty though. Oh, you See? got the full plate. Well, almost. I've got you know I've got the inbound. I've got the miss. I've got all the all the fixes. Uh-huh. On the 530 already. Okay. Uh, so sure. I don't need, sure. you know, I don't have the plan view. I don't have um, um, the profile view or anything like that on the 530. And but this I've lets got you take, plan view. This lets you take the place of paper, which the 530 does Exactly. Not. This eliminates the paper. It's yeah. um, really you know, it's, appealing. It's a lot how easier. Is, how, how much is an annual script going to be? Um, I'll answer that question right now as I navigate over to the uh, FAA website. But it's under $200 from last I remember. And how many are left before tonight's special ends? <laughs> how do you feel about Cleveland? <laughs> Tootsie. 
I've been hanging out with you guys for a year and a half now, and I still don't get all the inside jokes. I just, so, well, it, this was a spooky thing for us years ago, Jack. Yeah, uh, it, that hasn't changed. Yeah, no, it has. Still, changed. it's still kind of a spooky, weird thing. Uh, it's like uh, you know, our, our brain radio is set to the same frequency. Mm, uh, yeah. So just just remember, you Catholic girls start much too late. Oh shit! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> What's the matter, that, Dave? That, that's what, been Dave? that's been playing. I took the dog out for a walk about five o'clock. You know, I usually walk her a little later, but we're going to do this tonight. I want to be back and get them. And that song was playing in my head through most of the freaking walk. Yeah. Jack, now you see what I mean about spooky. Yeah. We didn't talk about this. This is not, this is, this is just scary stuff. Man. That's funny. So, David, last time we saw you, you were racing away to catch your flight. And, oh uh, yeah, man! We and think, it was we a think we bad time you. to be going the direction I was going. We think okay, we, we saw you lifting we, off, by the way. Before we, before we get off on that tangent, yeah, you see the DVD, okay, from directly from the FAA for the approach plates, terminal procedures. In other words, the approach plates, arrivals, departures, yeah, SID stars, SID stars, and and, and airport diagrams. One hundred seventy five dollars and fifty cents for a thirteen issue subscription. Oh. Every twenty-eight days. I'm sorry. Oh, how much? My. One one seventy-five fifty. Oh my God! Yeah. And then if yeah. can you get other stuff on it? I mean, can you get VFR charts, IFR charts? Not on that DVD, but you can. No, but get, I mean from elsewhere. You can there. get sectionals. Um, you can get wax. Um, that's on the DVD. You, I don't think you can get in route charts yet. No, you still have to go paper for the in route charts. What's the website you're looking at? Well, that's this is, small uh, enough to pay. Uh, NACO, N-A-C-O dot F-A-A dot gov. Okay. Cool. Do you yeah, recall? That, 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 that's got my interest. I did the I did the air chart systems thing for years because it was uh-huh. effective, compact, right. relatively speaking, right. covered a year and was a bargain compared to. And it's a good solution. The only trick I have, the only problem I have with the air charts. Uh, system is um, just you know, having to do the updates and keep up with the updates. Right. Yeah, right. yeah. Uh, and, but, and, and, yeah. And, and it's a piece of cake with that system versus another one that we know of that's published yeah. somewhere in the United States. Somewhere yeah. in like Colorado, I think it is. Yeah, our friend, uh, our friend Jim G from uh, Philadelphia and New Hampshire um, showed me his uh, his 172, I guess it was at uh, at Lakeland. And he has kind of an interesting setup because he has a, a full-blown uh, Windows tablet PC mounted on the right-hand yoke. And, uh-huh. uh, um, I think it was a 182. But, it it uh, might have been a 182. That, yeah, that's I think it was a 182. Yeah. 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 Well, there's, there's, a, there's a problem, of course, that I might have w- with that particular setup in that I ain't got no right yoke. <laughs> Oh, that's right. You got one of them. You got one of them yeah, the weird. Yoke, this uh, is one case things. when the yoke is not on him. Well, actually, it's, it is on him. The it's only, only on me. And uh, I always loved the name of that thing too. A throwover yoke. Throwover yoke. Sounds like a revolution, you know. Well, it's, it's like I, I, I took control of the airplane with the throwover yoke. David, how was your trip home? Yeah, a lot, a lot longer than it was going down there. What happened? I, I oh. must say. 
Well, nothing real serious. Uh, an, an issue that I'm going to bring up here in a second in a, in a calm, friendly, suggestive of improvement tone. Uh, but mostly it was, you know, headwinds between 110 and 130 knots on the nose or within 10 degrees for the first. So you had a 500 had a, miles of an 1100 mile trip. You had an LSA headwind. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, actually, actually, you're right there. Uh, yeah. You know, when you when when you're at flight level two four zero and you're truing right around two hundred and seventy knots and the ground speed says, "Oh, you're so lucky to be doing one hundred and fifty across the ground." Uh, Did you guys just have- think of all those poor guys down there in Cherokees? They're going backward right now. Yeah. Did you guys have to land out and wait the weather? You thought you might. Well. Take a deep he breath. doesn't remember. Hang on, I got to have another <laughs> sip here. <laughs> we had five minutes before the field was going to close for the Sunday air show. Yeah. yeah. When the flagman in the vest with the FAA headphones waved us on the runway and they told us on the radio, "Go, baby, go." Uh, Waiting for an IFR clearance for the pre-filed IFR clearance, pre-filed like three and a half hours earlier, mm-hmm. was going to uh, push us well into the airport is closed now. You must wait till it's overtime. So we launched VFR and promptly found ourselves in marginal, comfortably clear, uh, in a very, you know, relatively small space, like seven or eight miles across where we could stay, not go IFR, and not bump into somebody's class Bravo. Yeah. And Tampa didn't have our flight plan. Shocking. Shocked. 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 Flight service had our flight plan and retransmitted it three times for us. All the time that we're circling up there, about 180 knots, uh, trying to stay clear of everything and everybody. Uh, the TFR has gone up for the air show, so uh, staying eight miles or more away from Lakeland gives you a comfortable margin. We could barely do that. Flightaware.com, with whom I maintain a few tail numbers to track, it got the flight plan. It sent me an email about the flight plan about two hours and a half before we tried to use the flight plan. I knew that... The system had it because FlightAware had it and sent me a note saying, we've seen it. You're going to go from here to there at this time in this airplane. I'm going, man, those guys are good. But somewhere in there, somebody wasn't so good. Uh, We spent about, I don't know, it seemed like eternity. (laughs) Circling around in marginal of... At a a safe altitude and just barely... In a 250-knot airplane. Yeah, yeah. Uh, burning up a lot of kerosene. Uh, finally got on the third try. On the third try, and after one denial of a request to just give us a local, so we could at least go IFR. Uh, we finally, you know, came to the attention of Tampa, huh. and we were off and running and gratefully out of Tampa's airspace very, very quickly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. bites. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but how do you really feel, Dave? Uh, you know, I, I well, I, I understand the cursing lamp is lit, and well, I'll have you know, Dave. I'll have you know, Dave, that the the airlines took me home right on schedule, no problem. Zoom, yeah. zoom. Accidents happen. I even got to watch the uh, Red Sox game while I was waiting for my f- 
plans to change in Charlotte. I'm liking Charlotte. Charlotte's a nice little airport. I mean, the the airline part of it, anyways. Uh, yeah, yeah, they they did a nice job. That started to get built up back about 25 years ago. Yeah. Uh, huh. I think but, it was an American Eagle base. If you got to have a long wait, try and do it in Charlotte because they have all kinds of selections of food. And uh, it, there's a uh-huh. there's a theme here emerging, I think. And before we get too far into that theme, let's make this official by saying, "Welcome, folks, to episode number seventy-eight <laughs> of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast." We've been babbling on more than usual here, but a lot of it was about aviation, so I guess it's okay. Yeah, kind of sort of. We're recording this podcast on Sunday evening, April twentieth, two thousand and eight, uh, and. We're recording now? Yeah, we are recording now. uh, Oh, man, that's a record. And for those of you who don't already know, let me say hi to my friends uh, here in the hangar that uh, one of those voices is Dave Higdon. Dave is an aviation photographer, a senior editor for Kit Planes Magazine, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. And he's talking to us from Wichita, Kansas, where he eventually made his way home after Lakeland. Hi, Dave. Hey, folks. Jack, Jim. Uh, everybody that's lucky enough to be up flying tonight, uh, when you get this, hope you had a great weekend flying because there's been some pretty nice weather around here. Yeah. Um, Man, that's been great down here. So, Dave, let me talk about, you know, so I I confess that I don't read kit planes on a regular basis, um, but um, you guys were doing a really cool blog thing from Lakeland, and I just kind of wanted to comment that... uh, there was some, oh, well, thanks. There were some interesting things. You were one of them, just kind of looking at bylines, and there seemed to be about six or so folks um, from the staff who were making contributions to this uh, Kit Planes blog. But you you were right up there among the most most visible. Uh, Amy was also there making a lot of posts and, and some other folks. But it was really interesting. I, I, I hope that folks who weren't able to make it to Lakeland discovered that blog because it really gave a flavor, and uh, it was nice. Uh, thanks. It was uh, a lot of fun. Uh, the, uh, Mark Cook, the editor, kind of charged me with doing uh, an at-large thing, uh, concentrating on photos about the the color and the texture and, and, and the people parts of things that were going on there at Sun and Fun, rather than the new product stuff. He had other really good people doing that. So uh, it's kind of fun. Gave me an excuse to roam over pretty much most of the show and see different things from different perspectives and see all a lot of great people. And, you know, the best of that made it onto the blog. Yeah, yeah. Also here in the hangar is Jeb Burnside. Jeb is an aviation journalist currently serving as editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine, and he's talking to us from Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. Hey, Jack. How, how was, are you how are doing? Good. How was your trip home from Lakeland? <laughs> oh, <that's right. laughs> um, less, less dramatic. Yeah. When I left you, you would drop me off at the airport in Sarasota, so you were 20 minutes from home. And, uh, and any, any challenges with the cruise control there, man? No, actually none. Um, um, made all the lights and uh, uh, <laughs> no, no issues. So, so uh, and, and I am Jack Hodgson. I am a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. I'm up here in Boston, Massachusetts. One last but, bit. Of, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jeb. Uh, go ahead, please. I was just going to say one last bit of uh, podcast business here. Um, we announced on last week's podcast, uh, the second one from uh, Lakeland, that Amy was going to be Amy Laboda would be joining us today. But we had ran into a little scheduling snafu, and uh, unfortunately, her schedule wasn't able to match up with our schedule. So she's going to join us hopefully on number seventy nine, which we'll record in about a week or so. So uh, um, Amy will definitely be with us because we want to get her perspective on Sun and Fun. We talked to her; she was there at at Lakeland, and, and absolutely, and and we. 
we saw her many, many times and, and had a good time uh, uh, comparing notes and, and we will, socializing. We will verify that she was in attendance. She That's was right. not in attendance well, on the days. The grand church taken off in a little yellow gyroplane. That That's was right. very intriguing That's right. to watch. And she's going to tell us about Barry's uh, RV, so that'll be kind of cool. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So anyways, well, so we've been home about a week or so from, uh, from Lakeland. Uh, any uh, kind of uh, other thoughts since you've had a chance to... Well, I've had, you know, people ask me, well, what was the attendance like? Well, you know, is the industry folding this month or this week? (laughs) You know, what was the, what was the mood and and this kind of thing? And and, uh, I think the mood was upbeat. I think it was realistic. Um, But I can't really answer the question of what attendance was like because I, you know, I was really only there for like two and a half days. Yeah. And but in all each of those days was was uh, not typical. The first day, uh, which normally would be you know the day that all the pilots come in and and the air and the airplanes uh, I'm sorry the airport fills up with uh, with transient airplanes, didn't happen that way this year because it had rained so much a couple of days earlier. The parking areas were too soft to accept right. airplanes, and as we talked with. Um, um, John last week, um, they had they didn't close the airport, but they had to kind of turn people away because there was no place to park them. Right, place um, where I normally parked the Comanche, uh-huh. but I flew down there and camped in Vintage. Right, you know where that is. It's really yeah. close to the center of the show. Uh, that area of the airport of the showgrounds didn't really open to put airplanes on until Friday. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it was so wet. Uh, amazing. Hadn't seen rain like that in 25 years. Uh, there's a creek that runs through the showgrounds that uh, you know I've seen full twice in 25, 26 years. And those times it was after it had rained steadily for like three days out of five. Yeah. This filled up this puppy filled up in like 90 minutes yeah must have been something you said it oh, overflowed it was amazing its, it overflowed its banks and was up like creeping up the walkways and stuff it's creeping up the walkways it was up to the bottom so the, the up into the structure of the foot bridges and and the uh, uh road bridge that goes across in a couple of places uh you guys got trapped water in the was media center off you're telling so much yeah outside the media center the water was a, a little more than ankle deep just running from the higher ground over by the paved part of the airport. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of this did, running toward Did a creek. young Judy Garland go st- drifting? Oh, wrong movie. Never mind. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I think they saw something unidentified on radar, but uh-huh. later on they figured out it was just Cheney changing locations. Ah. Uh. Uh. But I've only been a couple of times to Sun and Fun. Dave, you're the one that's been going all these years. How would you compare the crowd size this year to past years? Oh, it was off. I mean... uh, It was off, yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's going to surprise anybody, and I don't think you'll hear any claims otherwise from Sun and Fun. Uh, And you can attribute some of the off to that early weather where they were... They were not accepting arrivals that were going to be staying for the show. They were diverting those to about five other airports in the area. Uh, And then progressively, normally open parts of the field started to open up a little bit Uh at a time over five days instead of being open from the get-go. Weather to the north 
Uh, didn't help either. When we flew no. down on when we flew down on Sunday, uh, we were fortunate enough to be at twenty seven thousand feet and above uh, level four to level five degree rain. Huh. I mean, we're talking dark red on the uh, on the uh, baseline uh, Doppler feed that we got from the data link service that my friend subscribes to. And as we were right in the middle of one of those big red splotches, and getting a little bit of chop, a little bit of bump, a little bit of rain. We realize that when they say baseline, it really is the lower levels that you're looking at on yeah. that. Yeah. And woe to be anybody that was down there. Yeah. Because if it was as bad down there as the radar returns <laughs> indicated, I didn't want to be there. But other than other than crowd size, what what did you think of the uh, of the event of the things that were on display there of the news that came out of things like that was it was it uh, a, a notable year in any particular yeah I th- I, to me it was because it was an evolutionary year rather than a revolutionary year we didn't see any you know great big crab batch whiz bang new things that made people sit up straight and and be talking about that no matter which restaurant you went into that night. But we saw a lot of evolutionary stuff. Uh, And I'm talking everything from a a $15,000, $16,000 ultralight complete with an engine and a one rotor, rotary engine, no less, uh, to synthetic vision being added to uh, the, the Garmin systems uh that are the g1000s that are going in a number of airplanes so now you can see a synthetically rendered view of the terrain ahead of you when you fly uh enhanced vision systems becoming available for around 10 grand if you've already got a multifunction display and available for a number of airplanes a couple of new lsas some new stuff in the ga movement uh it was a little bit of little stuff to moderate stuff from just about every segment so that was one thing i found notable is that so many aircraft of all different sizes and shapes were had these uh what i'd kind of loosely call glass panels uh had flat screens in them i mean the auto gyro that uh, that amy flew had this yeah. had an lc had a, some sort of flat panel a lot of the lsas have flat panels of course the larger aircraft all have them you know it's uh I don't know. Is that a good thing? Boy, it's, that's, that, that's that's a good question. question. It's a it, the the what it is is a is a less expensive, easier to install thing. Yeah, and lighter, lighter that's too. That's just one. That's just one thing. Are yeah. they sufficiently reliable? Because I was noticing a lot of these don't even have backup. You know, kind of steam talk, gauges. Talk anymore. to me. In, talk to me in five or ten years. Yeah. No one knows. I mean, the 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 mean time between failure numbers on uh, on the hardware on the individual components, uh, and we're talking un, uncertified non-TSO'd equipment here, of course, uh, for the vast majority of what Jack's talking about. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the mean time between failures for for these components are um, far in excess of the life of the airframe. Yeah, uh, but then you start adding a bunch of these components together. You put them on a, a motherboard and you solder it. You know, whatever you know, surface mount technology, whatever Subjected you do to the heat and vibration of an heat air, and vibration, and you know, and, and just extremes of temperature, and not to mention the the um, um, uh, the atmosphere. I'm sorry, barometric uh, pressure differences, and 
of course you've got you know the the the, the least common denominator is you know maybe a solder joint or or yeah. uh, maybe you know some some five cent part from some you know Chinese manufacturer. So are they as reliable? Probably not as reliable as a Garmin five thirty. Are they as reliable as a similar array of um, steam gauges? Um, we don't know yet. No, but I think that we can extrapolate some things here. Yeah. I mean, first off, that analog steam gauge pack that is everybody's frame of reference for everything except the reliability of new electronic stuff, and then everybody expects it to be dozens of times better for it to even be you know, something that they'd consider. Uh, but you've got so many little built-in failure modes for the uh, gyros and the instruments that we use uh-huh. now, everything from the, the uh, uh, pressure port and the static ports to the uh, suction pump that drives some of the instruments, the electrical system that drives some of them, the mechanical nature of the gyros in general. Although they're really good compared to years ago, uh, you know, if you talk to the manufacturers, they'll tell you that you really should be thinking about rebuilding some of these in triple-digit hours. Right. And when you've got an uncertified electronic instrument that's you know has root components that may have a fifty thousand hour mean time between failure, and you put some of those together and compound that, geez, even if it comes down to like wow, it's only got a thousand hour life expectancy, that's still in the range of where it's as good as yeah. what we've got now. And, and again, I come back to it's it's probably cheaper. It's certainly cheaper to install. Oh, it's cheaper to install. And, and uh, it's lighter. And when uh, you're talking about aircraft yeah. that are, are, are presumed to be VFR-only aircraft, right? the requirements for them are so much broader. Uh, what you can use is so much broader. Uh, you know, you're not supposed to be in conditions where you got to depend on, you know, you've got to hang your life on whether that little $2,500, $3,500 primary flight display instrument works in a pinch. Yeah. Uh, right. You're Another, talking about yeah. the same amount of money or more for a standard six-pack. Right. Yeah. So I like the idea. I, I, I don't know how, uh, how standardized, for lack of a better term, uh, some of these displays are. Yeah, that's a, that's Not, a good point. Not just um, from one installation to another, but across platforms. In other words, um, you probably go out and get in two or three different LSAs at Sun and Fun last week, and you would find just the same number of different displays. Um, you might find, and I don't know how these, uh, very few of these were powered up, so it's hard to say. You might find, you know, two of the same um, model and manufacturer number displays in different airplanes, but configured differently. Right. And or, and or a different dash number or something like that, so that it would have a different display or different features or something like that. Well, some um, of these so it's not an apples-to-apples apples, uh, comparison in a lot of instances. Um, these things are not certified um, by the FAA, not just because of, their, of the components in them, but also because of the presentation uh, on the display itself. Yeah, that was something you were... It doesn't meet standards. So, um, 
that's not to say that there's that there's anything wrong with these these units. All I'm trying to say is that uh, they're definitely different. There's definitely a bunch of them. There, are, you know, two or three, you know, popular yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, models out there that you'll f- see the vast majority of LSAs sporting. But um, um, I think the jury bottom line is still out on oh, yeah. on their reliability and their utility. Right, Jeb, you were I think it was you who was. I don't know if it was on the podcast or if we were just chatting, but you were saying that you were flying one of these kinds of uh, cockpits recently and were having a hard time reading the symbology or whatever you want to call it. Well, I, I flew a, a Garmin 1000 uh, okay. a few months back. Pretty I'm cool. Just, yeah, very, very cool. And I've, Tough, I've, I've, rough I've, life you lead, huh? Yeah, it is rough life on occasion. Information and, and, overload on the Yeah. Experience. But well, you had a hard time reading it, you said. Well, this was in a, in a uh, Diamond Twin Star diesel. Um, and I'd, I'd mentioned this on a podcast. Uh, I, I mentioned the fact that I'd flown this particular airplane uh, on the podcast before. Um, but this was, you know, we're going to go out. We're going to um, there was there was an instructor, myself, and my boss, and we're going to go out and we're going to get some some fuel burn numbers on this airplane, and and uh, we're going to do a couple of other things. And uh, uh, oh, by the way, you know, let, let me run. You know, here's the instructor, and he's he's pushing and pulling things. We got both fans turning. We taxi out. We take off. And you know, any any moron can find the airspeed on one of these Garmin 1000s, and any moron can find the al- altimeter uh, uh, readout on, on on one of these things. And you can pitch up, and you can turn right, and you can turn left, and you can figure out how to fly the airplane. Of course, and this is all solid not VFR. Um, but when it gets to starting to pick around, you know, in the nuances on the information, <laughs> you're, all right, now, well, where is the, the turn and bank ball again? Oh, okay, yeah. And, and the glide slope on this thing is, oh, okay, that's, that's new and different. And, uh, well, okay, then tell me again, where would I find the, the oil temperature? And this is, this is all, um, it's, a, it's, it's like learning to fly all over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, well, for me, you, it was. You know, it's, it's a lousy way to experience a system like this. Well, you know, I've, I've flown the G1000 before, and I've, I've ridden right seat in, in, uh, uh, with them before, and I, you know, I, I get the picture, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's all well and good. Yeah, but yeah. But if you're out there to fly the airplane, right. that's a tough thing to deal with without yeah. the prep time that they give somebody who actually buys one of these puppies, right. which right. is about a three-day ground school uh-huh. on button-pushing knob twisting yeah. sequencing the, the, and the switchology on one on these things because you've got not only you've got hard keys and you've got soft keys yeah um and not it's not just you know i, I can make a 530 or a 430 talk um and there's a 430 built into the garmin 1000 but it just simply does so much more in in addition oh, yeah. to just just navigation yeah. you've got all your engine instrumentation on this thing, you've got all your flight instrumentation on this thing, plus the synergies of putting all of these things together gives you stuff that no one ever had. Yeah. And we're talking, you know, no one before... Well, you're talking about trying to martini glass, from, trying to fill a martini glass from a fire hose. What? Right, right. right. Now, is there I, any... I will, I will say this. Yeah. I, I also got had the opportunity to fly a... Uh, it, not a full motion simulator. I guess it was a Class A simulator uh, there at the flight school that, that simulated the, the Twin Star. Did a very good job. 
Uh, I shot an ILS with it, you know, with very little, you know, training background, whatever. I didn't kill myself. I, well, I would have would have walked away from the landing, and I think the, we would have been, been able to use the airplane again. It'd be really scary right now to know that you'd killed yourself and were still talking yeah. to us. Yeah, it, it, it would have. It would be. Um, uh, th- that would be newsworthy. Yeah. Okay. It would so. be but but the punchline is, I mean, there's. Um, it it takes definitely definitely takes some getting used to, and wanna, you definitely need some training, and you need to be uh, um, aware of what you're doing, and, and there's aware that there's more than one way to do certain things with a Garmin 1000. But I think more importantly, uh, a um, is proficiency and and, re- and currency. Not just on the airplane, not just on approaches, not just getting three bangs and goes, but on the system. Yeah, I, I want to. But but and then one, one other thing, I'll yeah. shut up. The, the, okay. the, 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 maybe. Yeah, maybe. that's what I'm thinking here. <laughs> Going. Um, okay, I'll believe it when I hear it. Is you you got to have some fundamental <laughs> some fundamentally good training so that you can explore all these little nooks and crannies, and get the zen of what these systems do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, being able to turn it on and turn it off and 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 uh, you know uh, channel a, a calm radio that's all well and good but that's that's just scratching the surface that'll get you to the end of the runway yeah. I want to uh, move it, on here but my question a last question about this glass panel stuff is there anybody that is in it's that's been uh, tasked with standardizing the look of these controls yeah it's called the FAA Th- so they are well yeah. uh, not on the LSA market right. per se um, so but, I mean, let me ask you this. Here's a stupid question, yeah. right? The fact that the fact that altimeters and attitude indicators all have a very very similar look is that just kind of the way it evolved out, or was that standardized at some stage of the game? Steam gauges, I'm talking about. Yeah, I understand what your question is, and I think the answer is um, there wasn't a specific um, specification um, developed. Um, on the presentation, on the dials, uh, the, the face of the dial, for example, there was a, there is a specification on the instrument's performance, what it will do, right. the parameters within which it'll do it, um, and and how it will present uh, um, the information. And there are only certain ways that that can be accomplished. And I think what we've seen is the industry evolve. Um, the technology, or the, the let, let me rephrase it. I think what we've seen is the technology has become so stable for so long that there's no reason to reinvent that particular wheel. Yeah. And now Garmin and other Avidine and, and uh, other manufacturers come along, and they put all of this into uh, what is basically a, a computer screen. And instead of, for example, the altimeter. Uh, the round dial that you have, and it's, for example, uh, Jack and, and Dave and my airplane, uh, on the Garmin 1000, you have a vertical tape. Right. Uh, uh, for airspeed. common symbology for uh, uh, that kind of display going right. back years. Yeah. For um, higher-end aircraft, very right. common display. It's been, it's been tested and, and vetted and, and, uh, and things like that. The same thing for airspeed. Same thing for vertical speed. Um, so you've gotten away from that round dial presentation. You still have, for example, a line uh, running across the, the the middle of the screen, left to right, with you know a couple of little triangles and and uh, some other symbology there that approximates the old artificial horizon display. 
Um, some of that has has um, uh, survived, for lack of a better term. Um, but it's even better now because you can put more information into those those few square centimeters of uh, of LCD yep. space. What they've got on this one screen pretty much replicates everything that it took six dials or gyros right. to do before. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and some of it is pretty close to replicating the old symbology. Some of it does not. Right. And yeah. it's adapting. That's and, and speaking of the G1000 specifically, there's a little company here in Wichita, and they're not paying me for the plug. I've just checked out their products. They they uh, do what they're supposed to, but they publish a series of manuals for GPS navigators and systems like the Garmin G1000 that explain more clearly. Uh, things that the instruction manual tells you how to do and also unveils and explains how to do a lot of stuff that the instruction manual doesn't necessarily directly reveal. You'd have to kind of find out about it on your own. And they have a G1000W manual for the WAS version, which I believe is pretty much everything that's being delivered right now. Anyway, it's zdpublishing.com. They also do uh, books for some of the popular handhelds out there. Uh, like I said, I'm not getting a cut. This is just some people that I know do a good job. But having flown behind some of these glass panels and turbine aircraft over the years, uh, my standard practice, if the job is to evaluate flying the airplane, yeah. is to agree ahead of time that trying to evaluate the avionics right. is not what I'm going to try to do at the same time. Because it's next to impossible to pick up the nuances of how the airplane flies by hand and how the avionics operated when they're as, as sophisticated as some of today's systems are. So there's a lot that I don't get to learn, but you always want to make sure you know, you know, how the attitude indicator looks to you, what it works, what its frame of reference is, the speed tapes, the DG rendering, which is sometimes it's on the same screen sometimes it's an arc around the per sometimes it's on a different screen so uh -huh. it yeah. uh, helps um, to brief ahead of time a little bit but these books from ZD if you've got one of these systems uh, might be worth checking it out yeah well I, I'd caution anyone either contemplating contemplating either buying or renting uh, an airplane, even if they're completely familiar with the airframe and the engine in this airplane, uh, but they're not familiar with the panel, uh, sorry, but I would strongly suggest getting some formal training, hands-on, either at the company uh, flight school, uh, Cirrus, Cessna, whomever, or... Um, finding and and there are any number of uh, sources resources for finding a, a, a for example a Garmin 1000 fluent instructor um, in your in your vicinity um, in, and you know set up a you ain't going to get it in a couple hours on a Sunday afternoon. Well, some of these systems have available uh, web based or sure. software based training that you can put on your own computer see the real screens, real controls, and even though you may not be twisting in a real button or pushing a real, I mean, twisting a real knob or pushing a real button, you can start to see how things sequence, uh, how menus work and so forth so that 
you're not looking at a screen going, uh, does what time does, does HBO right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. I thought I was getting uh, um, you know West Wing on this, and here I am. You know, uh, I don't understand. It, it's we... a mixed up, muddled up, shook up. <laughs> Before we move on and leave Southern Fun behind for a little while here, um, Jeb, did you have any? Uh, we started this whole th- conversation by saying now the dust is settled. Any final thoughts on Sun and Fun? Do you have any any anything um, that's sort of come to you since you got home? Um, no, I, I really don't. I think um, um, given the weather, given the, the, the rain that fell, you know, before the show started, um, and, you know, Jack and I, as we were leaving the site on Sunday, it was raining. It started to rain, and that had to yeah. kill it. That was the final straw, I think. Yeah, yeah. That, was kind of, that was kind of the final thing. So I think, um, I think a, certainly a, a good time was had by everybody I knew yeah. there. Uh, especially on Saturday night, and um, um, uh, it was it was a good sun and fun from from my perspective. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It might not have been the 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 most well attended. It might not have been the most newsworthy. It might not have been um, you know the one to stand up to, to some other metrics. But I had a blast. And I was going to say, those are pretty narrow yeah, gauges by which to me- measure an air show. <laughs> yeah. You know, from my side, I saw a lot of old friends. I made some new friends. I uh, got to hang around with airplane people who get it yep. for the better yeah. part of a week. I yeah. uh, got to see a lot of neat stuff, some neat airplanes that I'd never seen before. I got to see the Thunderbirds fly up close. Uh, got to sleep in a campground on a pull-out sofa bed in a little bitty trailer and 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 be grateful that Jack doesn't snore. Yeah, okay. Oh, uh, you want to bring? You want to open that door, huh? Wanted, right. Yeah. Oh, oh. All right. I, it's been fun, guys. Y'all have. Uh, <laughs> all right. I really yeah. do want us to move on here. I just want to close this. Moving off right along. It was a good deal. It was a good deal. Um, I reiterate. I want to just kind of reinforce what you guys have said. I. It was a great event, regardless of whatever metrics you might want to point to. Um, you know, as I've said in the forums, it was kind of a tipping point for me. It was my third Sun and Fun, and I really kind of, I don't know, whatever metaphor you want to reach critical mass, I, I, I had a blast. I made a whole bunch of new friends. Um, it, you know, I, I'm just thrilled, and it was great. And so one last time, we want to thank all of our new and old friends at Lakeland and Sun and Fun here, 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 for, here. for being such great hosts and welcoming us and making it so much fun and giving us just the right amount of grief. Uh, and, and, and and great waffles and great waffles. So, anyways, let's move on here. Waffles. Uh, on. All this talk about all this talk about whether uh, whether the glass panels make things safer or not. We must be doing something right because the NTSB has recently released a report saying that uh, there was a substantial drop in GA fatalities in the past, I guess, year. Reading the first sentence from a story on avweb.com, uh, general aviation fatalities decreased 30% last year compared to the year before. The NTSB reported on Wednesday, down from 703 to 491. What do you think? Have you guys looked at this report? As, uh, yeah, took a look at it. Uh, uh, it's always good to see that fewers you know, went to their great reward or the great beyond or wherever they go. Uh, last year than a year before. It was a little disheartening to see that that occurred despite a slight increase in total accidents, which, considering that flying hours were down slightly, is always one of those, come on, man, 
I, we're doing I, something I, wrong when that number is going the wrong way. Yeah. Some wag um, whom I, I will not name um, suggested that the reason the fatalities were down was Cirrus. In How the so? airframe parachute. Ah. Uh, he was not being kind uh, to either Cirrus pilots um, nor the airplane when he said that. Um, but um, I don't know why it is that that fatalities are down while number of accidents is is slightly up. And let's let's put this you know try to put some of this in perspective here a little bit too. Um, the uh, let me pull up this table here. Um, the uh, let me ask you know, while you're looking for that. Let me ask you this: um, for the purposes of this, these statistics, what is the definition of an accident? An accident is the the definition that the NTSB uses in its in its uh, in its statutes and and, uh, re and regulations. And I'm not going to recite that here. What um, is that? It's uh, Section 840. But it has to do with aircraft damage. Is that what it is? Or Based in aircraft uh, damage and or injury to humans. Okay. Right. I was wondering uh, whether maybe an increased reporting of things like runway incursions, but that that wouldn't be in this number, right? No, that wouldn't be in this number. Yeah. No. No, that wouldn't. That yeah, would be uh, would, that that information is out there. Uh, that's just FAA information, FAA data, and it would not be uh, um, in, in this uh, in this table. Something um, like a gear all, up landing might not even be in this table. If well, a gear up landing by definition, uh, a standard gear up landing where there's nobody injured and the airplane is jacked up and, and towed away um, probably wouldn't even make the cut. That's right. It does for an accident or an incident. Well, I guess it'd make the I guess it'd make the incident cut, but it, it makes the incident cut just because yeah. it was something that went wrong. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So what I'm hearing is that they, maybe this isn't such a significant number after all, and it's just the uh, whoever trying to you know paint a pretty picture. But it's really I, I'd need I'd need to spend some time crunching the numbers and looking for serious accidents yeah. where there yeah. shouldn't have been survivors. By my weighted judgment, yeah. well, and the first parachute all, itself made a difference. In, but, yeah. but that's in, not going to that. account that's, for two hundred saved no, lives. That's that's not that. There's not enough Cirruses Cirri out there. Well, I was I, to, I was coming to that. Then we get yeah. a, then we get a number on which we could actually say that the Cirrus fleet right. parachute deployments made a difference, and then look at the difference there, and it's still going to come up short of the difference. Okay. Right. Well, here, I've got the table here in front of me. Okay. And this is. This is from the NTSB, excuse me, NTSB website, uh, 88 through 2000, accident fatalities and rates for U.S. general aviation operations. Um, just, in, in just comparing 06 to 07, okay, total accidents in uh, 06, 15,000, I'm sorry, 1,518. Uh, total accidents in 07, 1,631, so about 120, 115, excuse me, uh, accidents more in, in 07 than in 06. Um, the number of those accidents that were fatal is down by 22, 06 to 07, 306 to 284. The number of fatalities, amazingly, in 06, 703. The number of fatalities in, in 07, 491, so a whopping more than 300, I'm sorry, more than 200 uh, fewer fatalities 
in 07 versus 06. Now, one of the reasons that is as it is is because in 06, the number of fatalities spiked compared to the previous. Uh, okay. 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 If you if you go and look at this table on the NTSB website, it the was 05, out of trend. It was out yeah, of trend. The, the 06 numbers were an outlier, for lack of a better term. Um, 05 numbers, 563. 04 numbers, 559. Okay. Yeah. You don't get to 700 or more fatalities until you go all the way back to 90, 95. Okay. So, so it's not that this year is notable. Last year was what was notable. Last year it was notable. Now, but before we go further, this year is notable in that it does have the lowest number of fatalities of any of the years on this table. 98, I'm sorry, 88 through 2007. Um, one of the differences here, of course, is the number of flight hours is down in 07 versus um, versus 06, but it's up a little bit versus 05. The punchline in all of this, and, and, and our, our listeners should really um, take it upon themselves to, to seek out the NTSB website and look for this. We'll put a link in the, uh, in the show notes. Um, there's a lot more going on here than just, hey, we had a great year last year. Yeah. Uh, we did have a, a good year in 07. Make no mistake about it. Um, but we have to look at historical trends. Um, we have to look at the number of flight hours. We have to look at the total number of accidents. da 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 da, da before um, we can pat ourselves on the back. However, main, patting, main ourselves on the back, patting ourselves on the back is definitely called for, but perhaps not as much as some others might want us to think. main thing to remember is the best hedge against having bad flying habits is flying as much as you possibly can. That's right. Yep. That's exactly right. Yeah. Let's see now. So this does not qualify as off-field landing of the week, although they, <laughs> <laughs> although they probably made a pretty notable off-field landing. This so, Jeb, you I think you're the one that dug this up. This is, I, I I wasn't, but go ahead. Oh, it wasn't you. Anyway, so what we what we're looking at here is a uh, is a uh, uh, a, a web page and a picture and the, the just here this premium this sums it up. All right, the domain is clusterballoon.org. Ah, oh, okay. I know what you're talking about okay. now. This oh, guy, yeah. this guy, I think we've seen this before. This guy is like, guy wired up a whole bunch of balloons, big balloons, balloons that are probably six feet in diameter. And there's a lot of them. There must be 30. Well, there's a, he, there's he, a, he's, he's an act. He's an act. He's an air show act. He's an air show act? No. No, 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 no. Not an air show act, but he'll open up your mall. All right. There is a tour, you know, kind of thing here. But there's clearly enough data here, enough material here to, for the uninitiated, shall we say, to develop the means to get themselves aloft yeah. in these, these helium balloons. And when he says aloft, he's not talking about a place in Soho. That's right. 
That's right. No, no, no. There's the somewhat famous Darwin Award story uh-huh. about the guy, which is a true story, who, who who hooked up a whole bunch of balloons to his lawn chair, all right, and went flying. And the way he decided, the way he was going to descend was using a BB gun to shoot balloons out, <laughs> so that he would. I don't know. I interviewed that guy. Did you really? When I was at Glider Rider Magazine. Really? Tell us, tell us that story. Larry Walters. Yeah. Larry Walters. That's right. That's right. I, I believe it is now the late. Larry Walters. He died. I believe uh, he died a couple of years yeah. ago. So he really uh, did this. Yeah. It was a Sears, if I remember this right. Now, mind you, we're talking about 25, 26 years here. Well, I'm, uh, I'm looking at the Wikipedia entry here. And the flight 82? was on in 82. Yeah, yeah, thank you. 26 years, only 26 years. All right, tell us the story. What did he do? He bought a Sears and Roebuck industrial-grade lawn chair. Patio furniture. Well, good. <laughs> Some government surplus helium weather balloons. Okay. Tied them all up to the chair. Took a BB gun up with himself. Filled the helium balloons up, and lifted off on the Southern California coast. And proceeded to experience what trained balloon pilots would call offshore winds. As in, they're going to blow your balloon offshore. Yeah. Uh-huh. He went to about 16,000 feet, got out in the departure for LAX, became a point of reporting to the L.A. Tracon. Uh, hi, this is, uh, you know, Orient 747, just departed LAX. I just went by a guy with balloons in a lawn chair. <laughs> That's right. Do you, want, do you want to report an unidentified flying object? No. no. Thank, thank you okay, he got up about 16.5, I understand, because Mylar weather balloons, you might you know, appreciate, uh, are made to kind of be radar reflective. Yeah. So he okay. wasn't squawking a code, but he was showing up on the primary return. All right. Here's the part I love. Yeah. This, again, reading from the Wikipedia article here. He took with him a pellet gun Uh with which he intended to shoot the balloons to lower his altitude, Uh a CB radio, sandwiches, soft drinks, and a camera. (laughs) Yep. After after all of that, things did not work out as he planned. (laughs) Duh. When his friends cut the cord, he had tied his lawn chair to his Jeep. When his friends cut the cord, they had tied his lawn chair to his Jeep. Walter's lawn chair, which was planned to rise 100 feet above the ground, quickly rose to a height of about five kilometers. <laughs> 16,000 feet. Oops. You know what? It's really cold uh, yeah. there, and this boy is dressed for the beach. Okay. So then what? He starts shooting out balloons. Yeah. Except helium balloons, like the weather balloons aren't like the party balloons that you get with helium <laughs> down at the mall yeah. and you inhale so you do your Donald Duck voice. Right. They're kind of tougher is what you're saying. Well, you can punch lots of little bitty holes in them and all you're going to get is little bitty helium leaks. Oh, okay. They here's don't burst. Other, here's they my don't other burst. Thing. You don't suddenly start right. going from an up a rate, you know, an up attitude to a down attitude based on shooting a few dozen holes in a bunch of weather balloons. Here's my other favorite part of this, though. Again, reading from the uh, Wikipedia entry, um, 
presumably this was an FAA uh, inspector who said this. It says, Regional Safety Inspector Neil Savoy <laughs> was reported to have said, quote, we know he broke some part of the Federal Aviation Act. And, and, as, and as soon as we decide which part it is, some type of charge will be filed. If he had a pilot's license, we'd suspend that. But he doesn't. <laughs> Yes, we talk to those folks too. This is your uncontrolled airspace's favorite aviation agency in action, folks. And this is an off-field landing of the week because Larry came back nowhere near where he started. Yeah, right. And was really fortunate in the slow nature of his balloons leaking helium because it allowed him to descend. And he was many, many, many miles out over the Pacific. If he just splashed, there would have been bottom feeders going, Wow, man, you don't usually see victims out here in a lawn chair. Uh, but he got into the onshore wind cycle that blew him back ashore many miles north and many miles inland from where he started. After which he became... A major focus of law enforcement in the FAA. And he was, you know, like, wow, man, I didn't know it would happen that way. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess we will make that the off-field landing. Of the and week. now yeah. it's an actual uh, organized hobby. Yeah, here's the, yeah. Now we have this quote-unquote cluster ballooning. Um, and we have helium-filled balloons. Uh, these are some a little bit more sturdy than the Mylar types. that uh, They that will Larry, burst more quickly. That's right. Um, but there's a whole website now um, <laughs> dedicated to this guy who's who's called this cluster ballooning. We call it something else after the cluster uh, part. Um, but he, he references Walters um, uh, in in his, in his website. Um, talks about learning to fly, how he's how he how he taught himself to fly with these helium balloons, and um, there's some some photos of this guy. He's clearly um, you know, uh, at and in at altitudes where oh, he might get up close and personal with some of our listeners flying real airplanes. So I guess the punchline is, you know, let's you know, let's all be careful out there, folks. Yeah. If you see a clown at altitude with a great big bundle of balloons over his head, don't assume that there was a mall opening going bad. That's right. Don't 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 <laughs> he presume. may actually be up there on purpose. That's right. Don't presume that I'm I'm coming to celebrate your birthday party. Uh, I want to read uh, one one particular post from the forums. Uh, this is a, a post was posted by uh, one of our regulars, Toronado. Uh, Toronado wrote uh, the headline is a new member of the club. He said, "I want to extend a big bravo to one of the world's newest PICs, Rick Mariner. Mariner's as he's known here in the forums." He says, "I got the call this afternoon that he now has 0.5 hours logged in the PIC column after completing his first solo oh, flight." Oh man, way so, to go! Good job, Rick. Congratulations. That's right. Uh, so. You are just beginning, and remember, remember, everyone remember, always remember, time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. That's right. That's a rule. That's right. Wright uh, Brothers came up with that. Another story we were talking about in the past was this uh, 
uh, F-16 intercept of the Pilatus and the Premier. Uh, <laughs> now, the latest is, the late, so the, the Pilatus pilot has been interviewed a couple of different times where he clearly said the F-16 was 20 feet off my wing. All right. The military, the, I guess it's the Air Force, are now saying we've looked at all the electronic records and the F-16 was never closer than 600, 600 feet. Mm-hmm. So which was it? Who are you going to believe? <laughs> Why all that electronics, of course. Well, here yeah. you got a you got a guy who's an attorney. He's 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 got enough on the ball that he's flying a PC twelve by himself, um, and does this with some regularity. He's he's basically commuting from Scottsdale to uh, I think it's Corona or somewhere in California, um, Southern California. And um, he's saying the F-16 is 20 feet off his left wing. The Air Force is saying at, at no point did an F-16 get closer than 600 feet to either this particular PC-12 nor to a Beechcraft Premier 1 Bizjet a few moments later. Now, it's clear to me that the PC-12 pilot can distinguish the difference between 20 feet and 600 feet. Who are you going to believe? Yeah. I, should, I should point out that, uh, uh, Jeb, you had a really nice piece uh, in uh, Aviation Safety, uh, sort Thank of summa- summarizing this, based on information presumably about a week ago. Um, but uh, it, it was a very interesting uh, kind of wrapping it up uh, based well, on we, what we knew at the we, time. Yeah, we, uh, uh, you know, in, in Aviation Safety's May issue, we have a, a feature article um, on this particular episode. Um, we um, kind of dived into this. Uh, there was a lot of information, a lot of, of misinformation yeah, floating around. And, you know, it's one of those things where the opportunities w- was there for us to to uh, ask a few questions and, and come up with a feature article. Um, unfortunately, we were not able to speak directly with the, uh, the pilot of the PC-12, nor of the, uh, uh, of the premier business jet. Um, but we did uh, speak directly with the Air Force, uh, the, the chief of public affairs at uh, Luke Air Force Base in Arizona. Which makes uh, we, it noteworthy to point out that he did not get to speak to the pilot in question. We did we, we uh, did not get to speak with the pilot of the F-16 in question. Uh, we also uh, um, got a lot of <clears throat> put a lot of questions before the Air Force and got a lot of questions answered. Same with the FAA, West Pac region, responsible for the uh, for the Arizona airspace. So, um, let me add one question to the mix. Yeah, you know, go right ahead. Did anybody ask the question? Twenty feet, six hundred feet. Who freaking cares? Why are they doing this? Well, we didn't ask the question that specifically. Uh, we, I can, I can tell you, however, that um, you're never going to get anything else out of the Air Force other than 600 feet because no, they, that's that's their story. They're sticking to it. That's because and they're not, 500, and they're, 500 is their yeah. interdiction limit. Right. Here's and the and they're not. Well, I don't know about that. They don't. I, I'm not sure that that they have such a limit, um, but they're that's their story. They're sticking to it, and they're not releasing the raw data. Okay. Here's the thing. Yeah. Here's Go ahead. The thing. 
I've been in Moas when there's been training up sure. above me, and nobody dropped by to check right. me out, uh, particularly with the bogus idea of informing me of what I was doing, legally right. penetrating a that's, MOA when there was that's training what going I, on. I love I'm that. Sorry, but uh, you know, if you can really defy gravity, I suggest that you do a natural relief movement up a rope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, to put a little meat on that very sparse bone, um, um, what happened here is the the PC-12 flying along straight and level um, gets a uh, traffic advisory on his uh, TCAS and rolls left and pitches down to evade this traffic. Um, the traffic basically kind of matches that maneuver. Uh, and all of a sudden, as far as the uh, the pilot of the PC-12 is concerned, the traffic is basically on top of him and, and goes by him. The guy rolls back right and pitches up and returns, presumably, to his original cruising altitude, 16,500 feet. After he completes all of this, he looks off to his left wing, and there's an F-16. Um, yeah. The Air Force says the F-16 was was not... Uh, maneuvering, um, uh, well, uh, the, the phrase was the phrase we asked them was basically, is it common for an F-16 to conduct tactical intercepts on civilian traffic in a MOA? Legally in a MOA. Legally in a MOA. Legally in a MOA. Legally in a MOA. And I'm sorry, F- but there's 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 a whole. Yeah. There's a whole There's, arrogance thing right, here that right. just tilts my gyros completely off the uh-huh. off the scale in this. We were doing this because we wanted to educate the guy. Educate yeah. the guy? I'm sorry. Well, what, do you think they put rookies in PC-12s? <laughs> the F- I, the F- I, I signed up for flight school today. Look what they put me in. That's right. A turboprop. They, they, all the 152s were booked. Yeah, man, I got the upgrade. <laughs> Clearly a disturbing situation. Jeb, can you wrap it up for us? Yeah, just to simply say that the Air Force, um, uh, how should I put this? The Air Force is is not the least bit apologetic and not the least bit repentant um, over this episode. Um, it's basically, they basically think it's their airspace. Um, yeah, and well, in fact, what, as, guys, as, you know what, as Dave points out, the um, there there were four F six. Here, here's the punchline. I think uh, out of all this, there were four F 16s in this airspace. Um, this PC twelve was at sixteen five. The the F sixteens were conducting a, a two v two tactical intercept uh, mission, practice mission, uh, ranging all the way up uh, to flight level three one zero. And, and down basically to the deck, um, the last few thousand feet of which encompassed the, the, where the PC-12 was. Um, according to the Air Force, when the PC-12 entered the airspace, um, they basically broke off their training mission. The three F-16s went out and basically orbited somewhere in a holding pattern. Yeah, leaving the lone F-16, supposedly the mission commander... To get up close and personal. Now, putting some meat on on the the bone that Dave threw out there, the Air Force says that um, the F-16 maneuvered to visually identify the traffic, 
so that the traffic could le- – first they told me that the, so that a complaint could be filed. But then they say, no, no, there was no complaint being filed. They wanted to identify the traffic so that they could later educate the pilot on the error of his ways, my words, uh, educate the pilot on the dangers of operating VFR in that particular airspace. And if you buy that, um, I have the box. Here's, here, here, here's okay. the thing. Quickly, Dave, here's we got to move thing. on here. Quickly. Uh, I'm sorry, but no. You don't get to do that. You don't get to do that, Air Force. You don't get to start this fear crap that says, oh, you've got to be careful being legal in a MOA because, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they might screw up and hurt you. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, guess what, guys? you got to play by the rules like the rest of us. It's not your airspace. It's our airspace, and the government says we can set off chunks of it for you to use under certain conditions. Meet the freaking conditions. Live with it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, wow. Not that I feel strong. <laughs> no, no, but we're used to it by now, Dave. Uh, let's see now. We're, I'm going to flip over all the cards here because we're... Uh... One, one thing very quickly. We're, okay. We're, um, we're talking about a story that was in AvWeb, um, what, yesterday? Thursday? Yeah. Uh, I've lost that page now, but uh, okay. you, you I, I have too. Um, we're talking about a story that that uh, was was the six hundred feet versus twenty feet. Yeah. Is, uh, is, well, we're talking about a story that that AvWeb covered here uh, within the last few days, or yes. or will be covering very shortly. Um, and we're also talking about an article that is in the May issue of Aviation Safety. Um, uh, enjoy, subscribe, please. There you go. Okay, we got to wrap this thing up, but I did yeah. want to. Uh, now that we've kind of all caught our breaths, uh, caught our breaths, and. Uh, there's a, the correct terminologies in there someplace. Easy for you to say. You know what I'm talking about. Um, regarding Sun and Fun and are all back home now, we get to start being excited about Air Venture 2008. And uh, quickly, uh, a handful of stories here about uh, coming up uh, this summer's uh, uh, Air Venture. The first thing I think is notable uh, is that they have announced a new uh, major exhibit at AirVenture this summer. I think they were inspired by us here on the podcast, uh, what we were calling the Frugal Pilot uh, Program, though trying to find ways to uh, get involved with in-flight uh, inexpensively. And they're going to turn the old uh, one of the old NASA hangars into a, an exhibit. Let's see if I can find the exact wording here. Um, <laughs> Affordable or economical flight solution. The, the Affordable Flying Center is going to be a major or, or a, a significant exhibit at uh, at Oshkosh this summer, and so that'll be pretty cool. Uh, you can go to the AirVenture.org website to uh, read an article that has a little bit more information about that. So we we congratulate them and we welcome them to the fold. <laughs> I'm going to try and lay claim to this this being yeah, that's our we're, program. We're, we're glad they, they they finally came around. Exactly, exactly. Yep. Another thing uh, this summer we can look forward to at uh, Oshkosh is the whole movie thing and this whole movie thing is going to start all over again though so we so last year we had the run-up to Oshkosh where we were trying to pick the well they claimed we were trying to pick the best aviation movie of all time what in fact we were doing was picking the most popular aviation movie of all time and, and what we were really doing is picking the one that would run first that's right, right. so now they've what they've done this year they're going to do another uh, survey like this you can go to airventure.org slash movie to vote for what they are characterizing 
using as the members' choice poll to help and you pick have the films. a limited time to do this. That's right. So, so uh, there are some really good movies on this list. Uh, like for example, I like Air. Amer- I like the flying of Air America. The story is kind of a little bit lame, but the flying. The story is very lame, and, and anybody who was in in Vietnam would say that they can't stand the movie. Really? But, but I love yeah. the flying scenes. Uh, I thought that was kind of fun, especially when they say, when you get When you can get Mel Gibson and Robert Downey Jr. together and they're yeah. both sober and straight, uh, it's it's a wonder. It's, it's entertaining, but it's also not realistic. Yeah. Damn Busters, uh, Flight of the Phoenix, Memphis Bell, a great aviation movie. Always. Damn Busters is Always is my favorite of this story. bunch. Yeah. Um, Dave, you Damn like Damn Busters? Busters? Well, it's just one of the most amazing stories because it came out while World War II was still going on about a mission that had flown earlier in World War II. Right. A, a, a real true-to-life. This is a true-to-life story in the Dam Busters. Yeah. And uh, it's just remarkable, uh, the ingenuity of these guys. They were inventing something as they went along and made those, it work. That's right. Those, dam, those Dam Busters. That's right. Always, Jeb, yeah, you like busters. the movie Always, huh? Always, I do, I do too. It's just a very oh, entertaining, man, and very very cute movie. Yeah, I do too. Oh, and uh, it's a great day. Absolutely, date, but, and to see yeah. the heroine in that white dress. Oh, oh yeah, Fig- Holly uh, Hunter, Holly Hunter, Holly uh, Hunter, yes. the Holly love Hunter. interest. And uh, have you been watching her new TV show? Yeah. Yes. She's, yes. She's okay. a babe. She's a babe in the new, and she's she's and she's tough. She's a man. fearsome actress. Oh, she's a fearsome yeah. actress. Yeah, great character. But the uh, Always was a remake of a World War. A, I think a 1943 movie called A Guy Named Joe with Spencer uh-huh. Tracy. Really? Uh, okay. And if you ever get a chance to watch the original, uh, you know. Well, this, it's, is a, it's, this, this is a Spielberg movie, too, by the way. Yeah. That's yeah. right. That's right. We got and one f- of the last movies with, uh, oh, Gemini, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah. Um, um, Audrey thank Hepburn. You. Thank you. Audrey yes. Hepburn. I think it was her last feature film. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's lovely. Also on the list is uh, the final countdown, which is a little bit sci-fi. I don't, I'm not familiar with this movie. Is there is there flying stuff in this movie? It's about an it's, aircraft carrier, but I, it's, I don't. It's basically yeah. um, It's 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 take a take the Nimitz yeah. and put it back in nineteen in in like early late November nineteen forty one. Right. Right. Just before Pearl in, in Harbor. the Pacific, and and it just gets it goes downhill from there. Okay. It's one of my favorites because my good friend and fellow aviation photographer James Lawrence is in ah, that movie. Okay. He okay. plays one of the officers on the bridge and actually has a couple of lines. Huh. And uh, James' other television claim to fame is that he was TJ on the old television series SWAT. Ah, turned his ball cap sideways. Okay. Former on the list. One of the the country's great aviation photographers, and it's a fun movie. We've got Strategic Air Command, uh, which is which. If you if you want to go back and you want to get some really good footage of B forty sevens. B thirty sixes, yeah, yeah, and, and that kind of uh, you know early early fifties uh, late forties, yeah. Uh, um, this is a really good movie. The the some of the you know it's very fifties in that the the relationship between Jimmy Stewart and June Allison, husband and wife, is is very uh, stereotypical of that era. 
Um, but it's it's got some very good and, and totally um, unrelated to the rest of the story. And totally unrelated to the rest of the story. <laughs> but it's got some very good aerial um, photography of of the aircraft of the day. And, uh, well, and Jimmy Stewart uh, it's, it's, it's also in color. In the Air Force, yeah, in the Air Force Reserve at the time. Yeah. I'm going to skip over this next one and come back to it. Uh, we've got yeah. Bridges at Tokori, uh, which Grace, not... Grace Kelly. What can you say? That's right. Any, any movie with Grace Kelly. That's right. And Tora Tora Tora, another favorite of mine. Oh, my buddy Doug. Jackson's airplane is in that movie. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, yeah, Tora uh, 101. Uh huh. So that's a great one. And the, but I'm begging you folks, don't vote for this last one. Yeah, don't, right. don't. It's not his aviation movie. Airplane. It's a great movie. <laughs> I love this movie. I have it on DVD. But surely you don't want to vote for this movie. You do, this is not one of the seven movies you want to see during during Air Venture this summer on the big screen. Okay. I don't know. Anyways, some really good movies there. One, not so much but some really good movies. You get to vote uh, on the airventure.org website until, I think it's May 2nd? May 2nd. If you, if, you vote May for 2nd. That, if you vote for that movie, we will make sure you get to see the inside of a We will send piece. Otto, the pilot, around. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Finally, the other uh, big announcement that, that uh, they made uh, the other day regarding AirVenture 2008 is that they're going to have an exhibition race of the Rocket Racing League. Which I think is kind of I don't know it is it's definitely interesting. This is we were trying to we had heard rumors about this while we were in Lakeland and we were trying to tease this out of our friend Rick, but he wasn't he wasn't biting, and uh, so uh, uh, they did make this announcement on Monday morning. And uh, but I, it's not clear to me exactly what the nature of this race is going to be. Do you guys have any more information that is in this article? They talk about these exhibition races will include two rocket racers flying their, quote, raceway in the sky, end quote, via in-panel and 3D helmet displays. So, I don't know. Are they going to hold these races at extreme altitude and we only get to watch by video? Or Well, here, here's the thing. when I don't know how familiar you might be with the Red Bull races that occur. Yeah, and they're like down, down on the ground. And, and Well, but they're also very 3D. Yeah, you yeah. got to go down low for some gates. Right, you got to pull up like a bat out of hell for the next one. Right, and then you might have to be back down, going under a bridge, and then hit one in the middle, then pull way up, and then dive way back down again. It's a very three-dimensional course. Yes. Okay. Uh, when you, when hang gliding was trying to find its legs as a national competition, one of the things they found out is making the course three-dimensional. That is where you had to put some climbs into it. Made the race a lot more interesting than just downhill. Okay. Well, the Rocket Racing League is going to have that kind of element to it. Uh, except, you think really? Since they're since the altitudes and the changes that they want to do cannot be practically served by physical gates. Right. They're going to plot the course and project it into the systems, and then it's going to be like flying a highway in the sky system oh, on the headsets that these guys see. I see. And they're going to have in-camera. And what altitudes will be flying? Will this be all the way down um, to the ground, or will it be not well, so close to the I'm ground? Well, I'm sure coming over Oshkosh, the lowest it's going to be is down 1836. Right. Uh, and how low that'll be, uh, you know, I would expect 50 feet to be the minimum. But it may be higher than that. I don't well, know. I, I guess Jack's question is: is is this going to be at, at thirty thousand feet, or is this going to be at three hundred feet? Well, it's supposed to be a spectator thing. So well, I guess that's what be, we're trying to get our arms around. Well, I think you, I think you got to recognize the fact here that they can put together a tight, short, three-dimensional race course, where 
on the main straightaway, the airplanes are coming down and maneuvering up and down and sideways right in front of the crowd and then go out and in the next 40 seconds go almost out of sight and come back down again. That didn't so work. it could be a combination of both. My only concern is that did not work real well last year for a couple of P-51s. That's a different issue. Yeah. Well, I'm sure, sure they're going to, especially because this is apparently going to be the first public exhibition race of this uh, this budding sport. It's been sport. in the works for about two and a half years. Yeah, they're uh, they're probably going to be extra careful. Um, one one thing of note here is that the Rocket Racing League Corporation, the outfit that's putting this whole thing on, um, has just recently announced that it's acquiring Velocity Aircraft. The, yeah, that that was intriguing. And uh, I, you know, you got to wonder. I don't know. I I have no inside information, but you got to wonder if that's in order to make sure that the company continues to exist, so that they can have these. I guess that's the airframe of choice, or is that the required airframe? Uh, well, you know, in some class racing, you don't get a choice of something. Right. That's what I mean. So it's that's yeah, the so class it, that they're. It, it, it may be well the class, so yeah. that it comes down. If you if you specify airframe and engines from yeah. specific sources, then you bring the whole racing thing down to pilot skills alone. Yeah. Well, and, and the, the aircraft um, being you, so far uh, that are participating in this, this racing class are very easies. They're, yeah. they're not velocities. So the, 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 the last graph in this story says that uh, velocity will produce an airframe that will be consistent for all competing rocket racers. Yeah. So what that tells me is that um, um, they're going to standardize these airframes down the road. Well, it may not be in time for Oshkosh this year, um, but um, instead of the, some of the variations among very easies that uh, long easies. might, these are long easy, okay, long easies, yeah, um, that, that are apparently giving some guys, you know, maybe uh, an advantage over some of the other guys. They're going to standardize all this, and it'll be a level playing field. But yeah. uh, Dick Rutan flew a uh, liquid fuel powered yeah. rocket. We talked about that on the podcast a while ago. Yeah, it was one yeah. of the more 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 kind of frightening moments I've. I've, you <laughs> you know. should have been out on the runway. I bet. That's what, that puppy. that's what you were telling us. Yeah. So, anyways. Well, anyways. So, it's looking to be a great uh, AirVenture 2008. We can't wait. Uh, I tell you, now being home after Sun and Fun, I just I now more than ever want to go to Oshkosh. I'm just looking forward to it a lot. Uh, yeah. We have every expectation that we will uh, be working again with the uh, EAA radio people to do uh, a couple of episodes of the podcast. We're out there. A lot more on that as time gets closer. And uh, We didn't scare them off? Apparently not. Apparently wow. not. So, it uh, is so strange. I mean, everybody <laughs> else runs like crazy. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, we've definitely reached the end of our allotted time here, so... Thanks, guys. If you want to learn more about Dave and his work, uh, you can check out his uh, his writings and photos and whatnot at kitplanes.com or avbuyer.com slash worldaircraftsales, or just Google his name and uh, learn a lot about some of his stuff. Learn more about Jeb and his work at jebburnside.com, also aviationsafetymagazine.com and avweb.com, myself at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net, and check out all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website at uncontrolledairspace.com. So thanks, everyone, for joining us here in the virtual hangar this evening, and we'll talk to you all again next time. Bye.